Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Voices in my head. I am your host, Ben DiMono, here for episode 100. And if you're wondering where Rick is, he's here, but it would seem that uh, contract negotiations have gotten a bit sticky. Uh, he has gone on strike from hosting the podcast, and so they have called in the scabs. So, Rick, um, here I am taking over your job here, episode 100. Uh, I appreciate you getting the podcast up to this point, but you know now. Now I think it's time for uh, take it to the next level uh, with the Bendy Bono show here on Voices in My Head. What do you think of that? Uh, I think that's probably a much better idea than the Rick Lee James podcast <laughs> ever was. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And all I can say is, show me the money, and I'll come back to the show. That's, there you go. Uh, there you go. Because. Because I haven't made any yet, and I know you haven't either on your podcast, no. but, you know. <laughs> no, this is not a, a lucrative venture. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I am not going to be your regular host here on Voices in My Head, but, Rick, you were kind enough to ask me to come on uh, for episode 100, which I'm thrilled about, because we, uh, we've hit 200 episodes over on the Sci-Fi Christian. Are you being and, a little bit braggy right now? I am, yeah, absolutely. Thank but, you. Not Thank you bit. for making my 100 seem very piddly. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. I appreciate the yeah. the, the way you just minimize the uh, impact of 100 for me. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Half is good. Uh, <laughs> uh, only joking, of course. Uh, but yeah, so these anniversary episodes are always kind of fun. I guess not anniversary, but milestone episodes, whatever we want to call them. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk some about your book today. We're going to talk about... You know, some Superman stuff. You said you had a take on the re- recent casting news yes. um, and whatever else we venture into. So how are you doing today, Rick? I'm, I'm a little confused. I don't know what happened. I showed up at the studio and I, I mean, I thought I was going to host the show. And, yeah. uh, and then, yeah. So, I mean, you're doing a great job. I just don't know what. I mean, I, I run this podcast and it's my show and there's nobody else involved. So I don't know how I lost it. Uh, that is when you find yourself getting fired from something that you're the only person involved with it. That, that's probably a bad career. I, I I may in fact be the only listener. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you've got uh, <laughs> no doubt thousands upon thousands. <laughs> to us. No, to, to answer your question seriously, I'm doing very well. Um, it's Valentine's Day. I'm glad to spend it, it with is. you. And uh, no hanky-panky today between you and I, but we're still going to be right. here on Valentine's Day. And, uh, or it, or any other day, for that matter. Well, or any other day, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when we meet in Chicago, same rules apply there. So, um, yeah. yeah no, we got about two months, and then you and I are going to uh, C2E2 together. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I can't wait. It is. So I'm having a yeah. good day. My, my parents are here uh, from Indiana actually visiting, so they're – Taking care of my one-year-old Alex today, and uh, they they brought him some uh, slightly belated birthday gifts last night, and uh, so we've just been having a good time as a family, and it allowed me to come down here and record this 100th episode. I I wish it, I had some sort of effect 
to make like a big echo when I said that. But um, anyway, no, it's all good. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm doing well. I'm sitting here. So doing, is, is Alex walking yet? Uh, he's not on his own. He's he's like walking with one of those walkers for children, you know, sure. and he's kind of going everywhere. And he he stands on his own, but when he it's sort of like when you're learning how to ride a bike and they've taken the training wheels off, you know, right. and you look behind you and realize your dad or mom is not holding on to the bike anymore and you crash. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that when he realizes he's standing on his own, he crashes. <laughs> but until then, he's fine. So 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 soon. Mm-hmm. You, you have just a bit more to go before full on mobility. Yeah, exactly. James household. I've already got the cage built to put him in for when he does get that mobile. Yep. Yep, and then then just wait till he learns to climb, and then not even the cage is going to be good enough. <laughs> I do think that um, you know cribs. I think we could patent something like make an invention where he could put a lid on top of a crib. Oh yeah. And, you know, just latch it down, and well, I think that already exists, Rick. I think that's called a cage. Oh, all right, right, okay. <laughs> so that is that is what I had then. It is. There a you cage. go. There you go. And I figure I'll you know let him out when he gets to be about eighteen. He can go out and explore the world. So absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we want to talk about your book a little bit um, because the book is freshly out, but I know you and I have had conversations about this book. Oh, gosh, I don't even remember when you sent me the first chapters to take a look at, but sometime uh, last summer. So I know I've been excited about this project uh, for quite a long time. Uh, I, I was uh, pleased to be asked by you to be a part of doing the editing process and eventually writing the foreword to the book. Um, so I know a lot about your book, but I want you to fill us in in terms of uh, – What's this book about? How did it come about? You know, well, why did you decide to write this? And uh, give us some background on, on what it is that has uh, inspired you to become a published author. All right. Well, this book is about 200 pages, and uh, it's it's actually longer in Word document, but it's uh, 200 in book form. And that's really all I know about it. I, I don't know anything else. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no. We were supposed um, to tell them that, Rick. Yeah. We didn't well, want to let it out that it was all ghostwritten by Alex, right? Well, that's right. That's yeah. right. It's And it's really just a bunch of gobbledygook. And so yeah. when, when reviewers write in and say, this guy writes like an infant, you know, it's like it, it's it's a compliment because it was. So. Right. right. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's no. a childlike understanding of that's, the scriptures. That's right. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm just a little giddy with my 100th episode, so I'm being silly. But um, no. It's called Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms. And uh, I I was pleased just before uh, I logged on here to have this conversation with you today. Um, I noticed that in the past week um, through noisetrade.com, it's it's had 108 downloads, uh, which is pretty good, uh, I, I think, you know, for for – Someone who has never published a book before and doesn't have any sort of corporate backing <laughs> uh, as an independent, I, I feel pretty good about that. Um, so for, for right now, by the way, listeners, if I get this out in time, um, there's just a little time left. You can go and download the book for free on noisetrade.com, and it won't last much longer. Uh, but the reason I mention Noise Trade is because the book actually – was birthed out of a concert that I did. Uh, I recorded a live album called Basement Psalms Live, and uh, listeners of the podcast know about this album because I've pushed it like crazy. Um, but 
the the book was sort of an, an effort to not only put in some of the research that I had done to the Psalms and and kind of share some of the ways that the Psalms had spoken to me, um, but it's it kind of serves a little bit as some liner notes too. You know, it's it's think of it in some ways as like extended liner notes, some ways as sort of a layman's commentary, in some ways sort of a uh, I, not quite a diary, but sort of like that, you know, because I'm sharing some memoir type things about my own life and uh, how my own life has intersected with some things in the Psalms. So um, hopefully I'm not being too wordy in describing that, but I, I've been getting some really good reviews on it, um, I, w- which is is wonderful. I'm always very um, humbled whenever someone takes the time to write a review on Amazon or Goodreads or something like that. And then, um, when, when they, when they do it good, and I've, and I've had some honest ones. Not everybody has thought it was wonderful, but I think the lowest, uh, rating I've even got on Amazon or whatever is like a, a three, uh, three out of five stars, which, you know, that's average, I guess. And so right now on Amazon, there's a bunch of reviews on there. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm still, I think I'm sitting at like four and a half out of five stars. So that's, that's exciting for me. I'm glad that people are enjoying it. That's a solid average. Solid, right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and well-deserved, too. I mean, like I said, I, I had a chance for you to take an early look at it and, uh, of course, really enjoyed it. And it, it was fun working on it with doing the editing with you and everything. Um, now, you have 10 psalms in the book. So the book is 10 chapters long, mm-hmm. one chapter per each psalm that you cover. Sure. And uh, the 10 chapters match up with the uh, the songs that are on your Basement Psalms Live, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. They're the same songs. Um, what made you choose those songs? Were, were they just the easiest ones to adapt to music? Were the, one, the ones that you were most pleased with? Uh, you know, you've got 150 in, in the scriptures to choose from. Why those? Well, I, it was one reason is I didn't want to write 150 songs and make an album out of it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, something right. Yeah, my my initial thought was I was trying to to do something that is really kind of impossible to do. I mean, obviously without doing 150 full psalms. But one thing that that did make the psalms a little easier to break down to put into like an album form when I was writing it is there are five sections in the psalms. And it's believed that the five sections that are in the psalms actually kind of correlate with the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I wanted to try if I could, and I I think I was fairly successful in this, um, I wanted to write an album that took at least two songs from each of the five sections and and two songs that were actually um, that I found very meaningful and songs that singability was a factor in some of them. I wanted it to um, to work out to where like I could kind of have a choir singing along with me. And uh, and so when I when I recorded the album, there wasn't exactly a choir there, but we were able to mic the congregation. I, I want to call them congregation, but it wasn't. It was a, a theater that we went to. But we were able to mic the audience, and you can hear very clearly them singing along to the songs. And being that it was their first time hearing those songs that night, I just think – I was like, thank God, because that's what I wanted. <laughs> you know, it's really rare for people to, like, catch on to a song right away. And uh, to do that times ten was, you know, I, I, near impossible. <laughs> so – right. Um, 
so yeah, so all those things that you said, I, I wanted to take different themes, some of which were very lamentful, uh, some of them just very honest, you know, questioning God, wondering where God is, wondering if God is even just or if he even loves us. And then there's other ones that are just uh, full on, really just all out praise, thankfulness, you know, just giving uh, full on thanks to God. I mean, one, one song, the, the finale of the album, uh, Psalm 150 is one I continually get asked to do if I'm in concert or, or when people hear it for the first time when I'm in a concert. That usually is the one they want to buy the album for. And I like that because it's, it's one of the more simple songs on the album, but it's one of the more simple psalms in the whole book, too, of psalms because um, it's just a call for all creation, for everything that has breath to come and praise the Lord. Um, it's It's almost like you take a journey starting with the book of psalms and you have this warning about the wicked and the the warning about you know it's almost like it's telling you we're about to go on this journey together and you need to know at the outset that there are many different roads that you could go down um but but the wicked roads are going to lead you to destruction and uh, and by the time we get to the end of the psalms uh, at 150, um, it's, it stopped questioning. It stopped giving warnings. It stopped doing any of that. It's just full out. Let everything praise the Lord. You know, we, we've made this journey. We're on it. We're going to continue it. And God has been faithful through the hard times. He's been faithful in the good times and he's been faithful when we couldn't see him. And, uh, so the book is, um, the book is a follow up to that album. Uh, I write about those specific songs. And so some people that if there's been any slight criticism of the book that i've gotten people didn't understand maybe why i picked the psalms that i picked and uh, and that's kind of why i got the psalms i wanted i'd actually like to do a lot more and if you buy the dvd there's a couple bonus tracks on there that didn't make it on the album from other psalms because um, obviously there's 150 to choose from but anyway i've i've talked long enough back to you mr host of does the that include the uh psalm 119 bonus track 40 minutes long or whatever that would take <laughs> yes full song version of that yes it's a complete rock opera uh, there, there you go that'll be the follow-up album right it's, it's actually three hours long so <laughs> <laughs> it's one song and it lasts for three hours it's sort of like uh, les mis on steroids so yeah, yeah. <laughs> great so what were some of those other songs i mean you mentioned the bonus tracks but which ones you know were there songs that maybe you wanted to write about in the book um, but didn't, uh, are there ones you wish you could do, uh, some writing on, but just because of the constraints of space or whatever, didn't have the space to do in, in, uh, this initial book, what were some of the others that you would have chosen? Well, the, your backups, one that I did, um, did put on the DVD and I, you have to forgive me the number. I am so bad with numbers in my head. So off the top of my head, I want to say it's Psalm 22, I think, uh, but it's it's the one that we know Jesus was quoting from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, you know, a lot of a lot of scholars actually think that that one, that Jesus maybe was quoting the entire psalm from the cross. We only have you know portions of what Jesus said uh, recorded. And when when you think about the time that passed from the time Jesus was actually crucified to the time that Gospels were actually written, who knows? exactly what jesus might have said upon the cross but i know a lot of theologians that i've read believe that 
as we do as believers, when we're going through hard times, we start quoting scripture, you know, and I, I've always loved that particular Psalm, you know, when it talks about things like the dogs are all around me, and it's like it's like you're being hunted, you know, and and it's it's a really low point. It talks about um, your tongue sticking to your mouth because it's so dry. It's like a pot shirt, and um, and uh, your your bones are sticking through your skin, and it just this real desperate person. And so I, I think about those words, and I think, wow, that's the prayer Jesus chose. You know, it's it wasn't. Um, it wasn't like, well, praise God anyway, you know, right. <laughs> like a lot of people tell you and like you go to a funeral and people are like, well, you just have to know God's going to bring good from this. And, and and Jesus didn't play any of those games or or do any sort of those trite little answers that we like to give people. Um, Jesus just full out started going, quoting the scripture. My God, why have you forsaken me? You know, where where are you? And and to think that even God in flesh uh, the son of God couldn't see where all this was going in his, you know, I mean, honestly, not to say that he couldn't, but, but that's where he was. So that's one that I chose. It's actually on the DVD that, and I sing about, I know you say you're with me, but I can't see it now. You know, you call yourself deliverer, but I can't see how, um, Lord, you seem so distant, but I'm told you're all around. And if you do not forsake me, then why am I forsaken now? And one reason I didn't choose to put that one actually on the album is it it is less of a quoting of the Psalms. I, I tried the other Psalms to make them a lot more following what was actually in there. And uh, and Psalm 22 tended to be more like if I was if I was writing from Jesus perspective, you know, right. and, and and so it didn't it just didn't quite exactly fit the format of some of the other ones. Um, as far as any others, I've, I've written several others that um, honestly, they're just I just didn't think they were as strong musically, lyrically um, to maybe go on an album yet. Some of them I'm still working on. Some of them I. Uh, I sing in my private devotion times for nobody else, um, just because they mean something to me, but I'm not sure they would to anybody else. Um, and maybe they're too literal to the Psalms. Um, and, and I actually had a couple different, um, you know, ones like that were, um, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, you know, stuff like that. And that that was one I really would have liked to put on too, but I, I again it just didn't didn't seem to fit or match up correctly, and um, and it's hard to narrow down two from each of the five sections, and ten songs seemed like a good even number, uh, a good amount for an album, and it turned out I didn't want to do too many more on a live album anyway because people were already there for a couple hours by the time we finished it, <laughs> so <Right>. yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So any chance of a follow-up with some of those, either CD or book form? Uh, I hope so. I, it's really hard to know because you you have um, – I've already got lots of other new songs I'm writing, and uh, I even wrote one this week that I'm considering playing the demo of here at the end of the show. I'm, I'm not sure if I will. Stay tuned. I don't know. I, I think you just promised it. No, I think I just said I might. I, I, <laughs> it was, Who's the host of this show? It, it was just my way of uh, keeping yeah. people on the line whenever I'm babbling too much here. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep listening. There might be a song, and it might, might be something good at the end. And it might be good, or it might not be. That's the problem with podcasts, though, is they can just skip to the end and find I, out for themselves. That's, 
That's true. Not <laughs> approach the surprise. Except for this one, we've made it so you can't. So don't try it. Right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's that new audio format. That's right. It's uh, really, really slow, so that nobody can skip ahead. So I guess the answer is maybe um, if I'm having some trouble filling an album. But when when you do a new album, the thing about songs sometimes it's really hard for a writer to go back to some of that old stuff because you feel like you're in a new place. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes even by the time the album releases, I know personally I'm I'm already moving on to something else because I've spent so much time with it. <laughs> and and, uh, and everybody else, it's like their first chance to hear it. Um, so, so, yeah, maybe. Maybe you'll get some. Maybe not. Maybe I'll do some on the podcast. I've done some of that in the past where I've had like a um, – uh, a guided prayer episode and I'll do some music and share some prayer thoughts and things. And so may- maybe that'll be the, the best format to share some of those songs. There you go. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about uh, is in our friendship, one of the things I really appreciate about you is I think you come from a very unique theological perspective. You don't really fit into any box very easily. Um, you're part of the church of the Nazarene, which uh, prior to meeting you, I, I really wasn't familiar with that de- denomination. Um, but in some ways, you might fit into the evangelical world, but yet you're more sacramental than that in terms of your theology, uh, whereas the evangelical Baptist world tends to be fairly light on sacraments. Um, you know, you kind of draw from a lot of different traditions in terms of how you think and how you approach theology. Uh, and that appeals to me as somebody who has journeyed from the evangelical world to Catholicism, uh, as we've talked about before on your show, and, and, uh, and through that process have gained a great appreciation for the ability to look at uh, traditions outside of your own. Uh, but you have this kind of unique, uh, and I don't know if eclectic is the right word, but uh, I'll go with it for now, it's an eclectic view of a theological perspective. And that comes through in yourself as a person, but it also comes through in this book. Um, have you gotten any pushback on that in terms of, you know, evangelicals being mad that you're not evangelical enough or, you know, <laughs> more sacramental minded people being mad that maybe you're too close to the evangelical world? You know, have you found yourself getting pushback on any of that at all? Uh, some, yeah. I, and they've been very kind about it. Um, I'm I'm hoping that more people will read the book and give me a little bit more constructive feedback like that. Um, I'll tell you what, the I, I wanted to have him on today, but it just wasn't going to work out time-wise to do everything uh, for me, and he's a busy guy. But the other guy that helped do some editing on the book is Matthew Cole. And um, and I don't I don't know that you've ever actually met Matt before, but he's been on the podcast before. And so he, he initially was editing the book and just ran into some time constraints and and that's when I asked you to, to, to step on board and you just did a fantastic job, by the way, I need to mention. Um, but Thank Matt- you. But we'll, we'll see what the listeners <laughs> think once they get in there and see all the typos that I missed. Or <laughs> but uh, but Matt actually is one that he thinks I'm a little too hard on Luther uh, throughout the book. And, uh, and, I, and I asked him why and, uh, and he said – and I don't, I don't know that this means I was too hard on him, but he said, you know, Luther was sort of a, he's sort of like that crazy uncle, you know, that that your your whole family knows is just absolutely nuts, you know, and and yet he was there for you one time and he really helped you out and he said some good things, 
Um, but then the rest of the time you're like, can we just ignore him? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, so I, I still don't know why that means I was too hard on him in the book. Cause I am pretty hard on Luther in the book. And, um, I, and maybe it's, it's partially because of what you said. I, I'm a little bit, maybe I'm just postmodern enough that I'm bitter that the church ever split in the first place. I don't know if that's postmodern. Well. <laughs> but whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, yeah, I guess it's not postmodern because, but but I guess I feel like that's why I'm a little bit of a smattering of everything. That's that's kind of where I mean the postmodern side of it. Yeah, because yeah. because theologically, I, I feel like I, I, I find a lot of good from almost everybody. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily... Um, buy into wholeheartedly every different theology that's out there obviously but i do find a lot from people who are outside the realm that i grew up in and especially catholic writers orthodox writers um i i i find that there's just a richness there that i had not had you know growing up to really to nobody's fault because everybody in my denomination i mean we were kind of being taught what we knew, you know, at that point, but there's just such a, a, a much more broad thing. So, so some of my writing, I, I think probably does come a little bit from that idea that I, I really wish we weren't, uh, we weren't a, a product of a schism, <laughs> you know, it, because to me, and I, and I especially hate the idea of, um, you know, celebrating the divorce as I, as you know, now that I think about it, it might be you, on the sci-fi christian one time maybe you described it this way for the first time and i've been describing it this way ever since of like thinking of reformation day when we celebrate that in protestant churches um that like it really should be more of like we would how we would remember a divorce rather than a party you know unless <laughs> i don't know i know a few people that are really glad they divorced but <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and it almost is a party for them but I know myself, and I do talk about this in the book. My divorce was extremely painful, and it was it was like an amputation of my heart, you know. And uh, and I don't look I don't look back on that divorce as like thank God that's over now I can move on to new life, you know. I it really is sort of a I'm really sad that happened, you know. I'm sorry that it happened, and I I don't I don't regret where God has taken me since, but it is a hard thing, and so I kind of feel that way. With the church, I want to say the church, but I almost feel like I have to say the church is, you know what I mean? (laughs) Because we are the church, and I see us as the church, and I see us as the body of Christ. But um, I I do get some pushback, too, because um, I'm I'm a little more, at least in my mind, a pacifist than a lot of people like to be. And that's okay. Uh, I I think that's okay. I, I, I want, if nothing else, hopefully I'm... I'm doing the ancient mandate to uh, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable a little bit, you know, and um, so people don't have to agree with me. It's not even my goal of the book. The book really is more of a sort of a memoir in some ways of this is where I am and this is what I'm speaking of. But I do want people to think about why they do the things that they do. So I I hope that answered your question. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, part of where the question comes from is when I was in the whole conversion process, as you know, uh, I was working as an associate pastor at a Baptist church here in Minnesota. And the more I kind of waded into that middle ground before I eventually, you know, went and said, okay, I am going to convert, uh, 
it really causes a lot of tension, you know, because when you're when you're an evangelical Baptist pastor, uh, there's certain expectations for what that should look like. Uh, and then you see find yourself increasingly not meeting those expectations. So I, I, I know that that caused a lot of tension for me. Uh, but it seems like uh, you, you're probably a bit more used to uh, dealing with it or have a situation that's a bit more flexible with it than uh, I, I was able to find. Um, um, speaking of ministry and, and church and theology and all that, uh, you've done all this work on the Psalms, and you're also a worship pastor, correct? Yes, yes. Have you found that, and I don't know what your worship makeup is at, in the Church of the Nazarene, typically, whether it's more on the hymn side or more liturgical, the Catholic tradition, or more of the kind of evangelical um, singing choruses and all that. But have you found a desire to incorporate more of the Psalms into your worship leading as a result of working on all of this? Oh, yeah, I have. Um, and I don't, I don't use my stuff all the time. I think a lot of people might think that I do when I'm leading in services, but I don't. Um, but occasionally I, I, I tend to work thematically. You'll, you'll find if you go to a Nazarene church or two, um, or let's, let's say you go to 10 different Nazarene churches. Um, you're going to probably find 10 different styles of services in those. There's not necessarily one set pattern and that that can be good. It can be bad, you know, in, in both ways. Um, the bad part of it is you have a seemingly nonstop, uh, what we call the worship wars <laughs> because because er everybody has a different idea of what worship ought to be and what it ought to look like. Um, I personally feel like we need as much scripture as we can. And the Psalms are how we learn to pray. Um, I, I'm not sure we pray all that correctly in our services. So whether it be through music or whether it be through a planned uh, scripture reading or a prayer time, um, I, I'm all for us trying to incorporate the Psalms as well as other parts. But um, as my friend uh, Brian Zahn has pointed out numerous times and uh, was very grateful that he uh, wrote a recommendation for this book because I, I quote him throughout it several times. Um, he, he was a good reminder of me that when we come to the Psalms, they're unique to a lot of the other books because where you might go and have a Bible study with some other part of a book, like if you hit an epistle or something, you might really um, go in depth. The Psalms literally are are, be, are designed to pray, you know, and they're, they're almost like written for you to just go to and pray or sing them in prayer. So, so yes, whether it's music, whether it's learning to pray these together, I, I would be all for us, you know, giving up what's called pastoral prayer time, you know, where the senior pastor will get up and lead in prayer and everybody else listens or kneels at the altar or does whatever while he prays. Um, I think there's some merit to that, but I also would be totally okay with today for prayer. Let's pray together. Psalm one, you know, right. <laughs> or, or let's pray together. Psalm 51, you know, let's, let's really repent, repent together today. And uh, I guess that's where, um, I would like to see us go. Uh, I, hopefully again, that answers your question, but yeah, yeah. It's something that, uh, and I know I've talked to you about this outside of the podcast, but, when we became Catholic, it's my first time in my life I've ever been part of a liturgical tradition. 
Uh, but if you've ever been to a Catholic Mass, you know that during the liturgy of the Word, you have a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament, a reading from the Gospels. And right in between one of those is, is a psalm, and the psalm is always sung. Mm-hmm. And that's been really powerful for me in terms of my own experience of the liturgy. Uh, because, you know, I've heard the psalms read, I've read them myself, you know, and I've heard songs based off of the psalms. Uh, but to really just sit there in church and uh, hear the psalms sung as part of the Mass, is, uh, is it's always something I look forward to when we go to church. Because uh, I'm I'm with you. I, I think that they, the psalms are given to us as our prayer book. They ought to be part of the regular life-giving worship of the church, and whether it's in Catholic Mass or evangelical worship service or anything in between. Um, and I think that it's one of those things where when we neglect them, uh, I don't know if I'd say it's a sin, but I, I think it's certainly a tragedy, you know, that God's given us this great gift of the psalms. And so often we just kind of let them sit there. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, that they're they're part of the process of really what the purpose of prayer is, is that we would be properly formed into the people of God. You know, that we would be properly formed as human beings is why we learn to pray. And we're, we're so um, – now, again, I'm not against extemporaneous prayer in, in any way, and I, I feel like that's good. We need to share our heart with the Lord. But I feel like in order to be properly formed and shaped into the people God wants us to be, we need something to shape us, and we need to be taught how to pray. And so, again, when we look at these psalms, I mean, they they are there to shape and to form us and and to teach us about how to pray so that when we do pray extemporaneously, so to speak, um, we – we learn how to do it properly, and I, I, I hope that makes sense to the listeners out there. I'm pretty sure it makes sense to you, but um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That uh, whether it's the Psalms or or a prayer book or something, that liturgical prayer uh, serves to teach us the rhythms of prayer, so that when prayers just rise up spontaneously from our hearts, oh, they they kind of fit that mold, and yeah. we we learn the pattern of how to pray. Well, and and as I'm thinking about this, I just thought of a funny. Uh, you, do you know who Jim Gaffigan is? The comedian? oh yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, good a good. Catholic I was gonna say a good fellow Catholic comedian, and his bit on uh, being in church, and uh, it, to me, it, it exemplifies <laughs> missing the point of what yes. you're doing. You know, um, yes. which is so funny, and I know that's why he is saying this because it it's a perfect example of people missing the point of why it is we're praying. But when he says, I think the priest is just keeping us there longer on purpose, you know, and he starts starts saying, you know, they get to the end of the prayer and they go, ah, 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 and Gaffigan says, men already, say amen already, you know, Um, but that's kind of the funny thing to me is we, we're not willing to take the time it takes to be properly formed either. And yeah. uh, and that's another thing. Psalms, the Psalms demand that you slow down. You, We're so terrible in our culture about just grabbing a scripture and running with it and saying, well, this is God's promise for me today. And I'm like, well, you know what? The whole thing is God's promise to you. <laughs> it's not – you don't get to have a life verse, you know. You get to <laughs> – it's yeah. like – it's like there's there's more than one in there, and and the one we usually choose is that I know the plans I have for you, say it the Lord, and 
we usually skip right over the part before about you know all the the wrath that God's pouring out on us, <laughs> yeah. you know? um, because we want to choose that one life verse. But anyway, all that is to say, the Psalms are are very uh, good about causing us to slow down and to be yes. formed and to take our time with it. And um, and sometimes you're like, I I don't know if I don't know why I'm praying this today. It doesn't make sense. And and you do have to let me let me say this because I I pointed out pretty quickly in the book. I'm looking at this as a Christian. I'm not looking at this as a Jewish person or a Muslim or anybody else that that may approach uh, the sacred writings of Scripture. Uh, I'm looking at this as one that that I believe Christ uh, informs and shapes the way that we read the entirety of the Bible, that we have to look at as we're Christians. We have to go back and kind of look at everything through Christ-like eyes. And and I, I think that even means the way that we pray the Psalms sometimes. And I deal with it some in the book about how I didn't write any songs that <laughs> were, had to do with like the imprecatory songs because I didn't, I had a, I had a hard time picturing Jesus saying, Lord, break their teeth out of their mouth, you know, right. and uh, to the same one who, who cries out on the cross to people who are torturing him to death, literally, you know, forgive them, Father. It's really hard for me to hear like the words of Jesus saying, you know, dash their infants on the rock, break their teeth out of their mouth, be cruel to them, Lord. You know, so um, even that, I think we 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 need to learn how to read in the light of Christ. Um, I don't know that we need to skip those passages, certainly, but I think we do need to be informed how to read them. Can I say read them with Jesus? Is that a good way to put it? Maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe, you know, maybe there's like a fifth lost gospel out there where it's Jesus's bad day and it's just <laughs> the and all the people who annoy him. But, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, I want to go back to something you said a, a few minutes ago. Maybe this will be a little bit of a tangent. So tangent warning here in case okay. it's that way. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, the Psalms are kind of different from other books in the Bible where, you know, if we want to sit down and, uh, read through Ephesians. And not that there aren't things to pray in Ephesians. I mean, Paul has some great prayers there, but it's really more of a study experience. You know, it's something that, uh, you don't just pick up Ephesians and read through it and instantly understand it, or at least I don't think you do. I know that there, <laughs> I'm going to get my, well, this is my opinion. Rick's not necessarily agreeing with this, but in my opinion, one of the big problems that exists in a lot of the way we read the Bible. So we think we can do that. You know, we think we can pick up the Bible and just read any passage and it's written to us because God loves us and this is his book. So therefore I'm going to instantly understand it uh, no matter what. And I have a lot of problems with that. Uh, and so, and I know a lot of people who approach the Bible that way, where they think that they can just pick up and pick it up any page, any section, read it, and it's going to make sense to them, and then they understand it. Right. And I wonder, not to say that there isn't, you know, study involved with the Psalms as well as there would be with a book like Ephesians, um, but I wonder if in some ways the Psalms are a bit more of that for people. It, it, not that there isn't any study involved, but... Uh, you know, where God's given us these difficult books like Romans, like Ephesians, like Genesis, you know, like the hi historical books that require time and study. Uh, and then he's also given us these books uh, like the Psalms and, you know, some of the wisdom literature where we can just pick them up and they really express our hearts more without having to 
spend the hours and hours and hours studying to get at what they really mean. Uh, do you see that distinction at all, or am I just off my rocker? Uh, no, I, I think you're correct. I, and I, I think you can, again, I, I think you can go with some good scholarly study to the Psalms. I mean, I think I did that in the book. Absolutely. But but that's not necessarily what they're designed for in the way that other ones are. Like, I, I feel like some of the epistles and things, I mean, you to me, you have to have some context. I wouldn't have thought this once upon a time, but you get a little education under you, uh, you know, and you start going, oh, like, there was a context to this. Because if you realize the thing about so many scriptures, I mean, there were letters written and sent to to churches you know at specific places and they're dealing with different problems that those churches were dealing with at that time and like it really helps to have this background and this understanding like why is paul saying this about women here you know (laughs) or because because you look at passages like that and you go like well, it sounds like he's being real sexist against women. And, and you actually find out with some context that Paul is being empowering uh, right. to the women. It's it's just the opposite of what we would think. But because of our modern context, we're going to hear that looking only through the eyes that we know in our present day, not looking at what the author intended, but looking at what we think he intended, you know, or or what we think when we hear it. And we say, Okay, well, women can't um, ever really be a part of the church now. I mean, they they just got to sit there and shut up. They don't really have a place, you know. <laughs> right. And and we'll tell them what to think, and and that is really so contrary to to what Paul was doing, you know. And and if you have some understanding of uh, of Judaism and the way that even temple worship was set up, or whenever they would meet at the synagogue, the way men would sit in one spot and women in the other, um, and it's it made for a very disruptive time. If the women were shouting back and forth to the husband, you know, <laughs> to ask a question about something. And, um, anyway, not to just harp on that one, but that's just a good example of like a, an adventure in missing the point, you know, that we often do. So I, I do think there is some merit to taking a lot more time to, to get into some real in-depth study with other things. Cause I'm all about, um, well, let me, let me say it this way. I, I think it might be the easiest way. I do believe God will speak to us through Scripture, and I do believe that He can reveal to us things that we that are beyond ourselves to know through the Scripture. Um, but I don't think that that is His only intent of how we read it. I don't think it's always just a blind reading and and say, "Well, now I know it." I, I do think in order to get the proper context and sometimes to make it even more meaningful in our understanding, we do need to have uh, some good scholarly um, help. You know, to back it up. And I think that's why we need the church. Not everybody can go to school and become like a professional theologian, you know, and and that's hopefully why the church is there. That's why it's important that our pastors be educated people who have some understanding behind them uh, beyond just what, let's say, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins are saying, you know. You read that and you find, oh, you mean Left Behind has absolutely nothing to do with what's in the Bible? It's like, yeah, that's true. It is nothing to do with it. Well, why is it in a Christian bookstore? Because people don't know their Bible, you know? It's like... uh, it's Speaking of which, have you gotten your tickets for the midnight showing of the uh, reboot starring Nicolas Cage? (laughs) 
just <laughs> I, I can't wrap my mind around the fact that that movie exists. I can't be in theaters, and we're all going to be able to go see it. And it's... <laughs> Except for the fact that I would only go see that for the comic value behind it. Like, I, oh, I think... you have to see it. I mean, there's just there's some things you just. It's going to be such a treasure. <laughs> I can't. I just can't imagine. Like it, it is one of those things that that boggles my mind. It's almost like there's a heaven is for real movie that's, that's <laughs> coming out. Right. Uh, or that. Or that. I heard you guys say on your podcast there's going to be a movie of the shack. And uh, yeah. And I and I do think it. Sh- I agree with you. It should be directed, produced, and starred in by Shack. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the Shack. I, I, I would go to. I would be the first person in line if we could have a Shaq uh, movie starring yeah. Shaq. That that would be. Yeah. That, the world's not kind enough for that, actually. Well, and yeah, and just to, to maybe kind of close out that thought on scripture, I I think there's sometimes because we don't really understand what we're reading. Although I do believe there's a lot of mystery to the faith, and I think there should be some mystery there. I, I really do. Um, I believe we create a lot more mystery about it than was ever intended to be um, with books like Revelation. Now that we're talking about that, I just had a conversation with a lady in our church, and I, I gave her a really good book to read that Michael Card authored with uh, his pastor, Scotty Smith, um, which is actually a very – good biblical look at revelation and having an understanding of the old testament passages that are being brought forth in that and an understanding of the first century church and things um but it was brought out of this conversation about like i think we need to look at revelation because there's stuff happening right now that 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 it's warning us about you know that's going to happen in the end times and and i and i i always want to say you know you're you're missing the beautiful hope that is found in that book because understandably so you don't understand it you know you, you and and you've gotten some people with some really bad theology who also don't understand it have caught your ear and they're telling you things that are filling you with fear and the only reason that revelation was written you know, it's called Revelation, not Revelations. You know, it's one of my pet peeves. It's it's not plural. It reveals the hope that is in Jesus Christ, and it reveals who Christ is to people who were experiencing very real persecution, to people who were um, in, in in living literally in hell on earth. You know, at, at a time where they were desperate for some hope, and to have Jesus revealed through the words of Revelation. Well, we. We miss out on that because we haven't got an understanding ourselves of the purpose of the book. We think of it as some, this is going to be happening in the future and it applies to North America and, uh, it's, 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 it's just ludicrous to think of it in those terms. So. Who was, was it, uh, the guy Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth, who yeah. read, you know, and there's the reference to, uh, locusts or whatever and he decided that, that was, uh, you know, John the Evangelist seeing helicopters in the 20th century and not knowing what they were, so he decided that they were locusts. It's like, come on! Yeah, I think they yeah, were... Serious. They were Vietnam helicopters. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so. It, it's so funny, except for the fact that people take it seriously. Yeah. It, uh, it, it reads like parody otherwise. Yeah, it does. It's it's kind of funny to me to look at some of the interpretation. And I would laugh more except for the fact that people are right. are right. actually changing their lives. I, I, I heard of a pastor that, 
you know, back at 2000 when he thought the world was going to end and it was Revelation being fulfilled. He resigned his position at his church. He moved to the woods in a trailer where he'd been stockpiling weapons and food for a matter of years so that he and his family would be safe when the Antichrist, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking, even if you subscribe to that, you're a man of God. I mean, like, like how, how far did you miss the point on this? You know, the idea that even if that was all true, what you're thinking, shouldn't you be a harbor in the storm and not, you know, shooting anybody that's coming looking for food, you know? Right. (laughs) So. Though on the plus side, at least he's not a pastor anymore. Well, he's, well, I think he might be again in somewhere else. So. Yeah. 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 It's interesting though, you know, to, to, to maybe tie it back to the Psalms, just, because you find stuff like this all throughout uh, history where people, you know, miss the point of the scriptures or uh, think they understand certain things they don't or, you know, even simply can't read uh, the scriptures for themselves. So, you know, we, we forget in our day where we have the entire Bible two clicks away on the Internet. Um, but for the most, majority of the church's history, most Christians can't read. And can't read the scriptures. Right. Uh, and it's amazing to me as I study that time and study, you know, different, learn different things about that kind of pre-literate or at least pre-widespread literacy era of the church. What a role the Psalms play uh, in the in that history. Um, I, I've made a point this year of trying to pray the rosary every day, which of course is a Catholic devotion, a series of prayers to Mary and focused on the mysteries of uh, the gospel. Uh, and if you pray a full rosary, which is the sorrowful or joyful, sorrowful, and glorious mysteries, you wind up praying 15 decades, which is the decades are 10 prayers each. So you're praying 150 prayers. So full rosary is 150 Hail Marys. Hmm. And the reason it's that is because it originated as a way for the lay people who couldn't read to pray the Psalms. Hmm. Um, you know, we, when you pray your rosary of prayer beads, well, they would, that started out with just stones that they would count out 150 stones and put them in a bucket and, you know, say a Hail Mary for each Psalm because they couldn't read the Psalms themselves. And uh, when they got to the end of their 150, they knew they had, in a sense, worked their way through the equivalent of the entire book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even there, it's this deep, powerful spiritual practice uh, that developed out of a love for the Psalms, when that was the most accessible portion of the scriptures for most Christians. Hmm. I, w- I wish I had known more about that. I could have written about that in the book. Thanks a lot, Ben. Uh, I would have gotten you in trouble. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, can you, do you think you could get away with writing about uh, the rosary in your now, in, in your book? Oh, <laughs> I would get you in all sorts of trouble, right? I, I could. I've already written a lot of stuff that would get me in trouble if <laughs> if, if people would read it. But that, thankfully, people still don't read. So you know, that's that's, that's how I guess. Um, well, uh, it'd be okay if they didn't read. I mean, what, what most people seem to do is they don't read and then make up their own interpretation of what you said and then accuse you of saying that. <laughs> Very true. Very yes. True. Well, what else do we want to talk about today well, here? Let's talk uh, Superman a little bit. So, right. you know, we just had uh, the news that uh, this is completely shifting gears from the Psalms. Um, 
so now everybody you've been edified now it's it's time to talk comic books all right <laughs> very good well let's yeah let's you know this, this voice is in my head and it's episode 100 um yeah and i like to let me just say let me reiterate why i named this podcast voices in my head uh it's partially because none of us are just one thing you know i really wanted to do like a, a focused podcast like you guys do with the sci-fi christian and i wanted to be like like okay this is going to be my niche i'll do i'm just going to talk about comic books every week but the right. fact it's funny now because that comes up so rarely anymore in this podcast but i feel like uh we all have a lot of different interests we have a lot of things that pop into our heads at different times and we are humans and we all have been given a wonderful capacity for a lot of different things that'll kind of capture our imagination and so comic books is just one of those things so i liked calling voices in my head just because i didn't have to uh, settle on any one topic week after week <laughs> yes, yes so that being said yeah let's talk superman a little bit so we just found out that Lex Luthor has been cast in the upcoming Batman versus Superman or whatever the heck they're going to call it movie. Uh, and the uh, casting choice was a little bit peculiar. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, who is probably most famous for his role as Mark Zuckerberg in the social network a few years ago. You said you had an interesting take on this, so I'm dying to hear it. What do you think of this casting? Well, I've heard so many people talk about this. I can't, I can't claim that this is probably a completely original thought, but this is kind of how my thought process is going now. Um, those of us who have been, I think I'll use the word blessed enough to watch Breaking Bad, um, and I, I'm still kind of uh, upset that they haven't brought the final part of the last season to Netflix because I still haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> I think it's coming next month. Awesome. Well, don't. But I, I sent you the steps on how to. I, you, well, you did, and I semi-legal steps. Yeah, and I just haven't been able to get it done or do all that, <laughs> so I'm just going to wait for Netflix for the there sake of these. And I'm, I still have your podcast where you guys talk about Breaking Bad. Uh, it's sitting in my uh, iPhone waiting to be listened to, you know, but I, I just yep. don't want to be spoiled. But for those of us that have been blessed enough to see that show and see how television should be done, um, we are familiar with a character who goes by the pseudonym uh, uh, Heisenberg. <laughs> right? yes. And so here's what I think happened. I'm guessing we we've got these Warner Brothers executives and you know everybody knows that Brian Cranston is the one everybody wants right now you know he's big award winner how many times did he did he win you know like the uh the the uh, television what are they Golden Globes or whatever Emmys. yeah Emmys that's what it is yeah. so he's the big go-to guy and I think the casting director whoever it was uh, some big executive said, you know who we need for next Lex Luthor? Can't think of his name, but he plays Heisenberg, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so he's like, get me Heisenberg, you know? Yeah. And, and they misunderstood what he was saying. And the casting director said he wanted Heisenberg and said, <laughs> said there was that girl named, you know, I can't remember her name, but her name was Heisenberg. She was a child actor. I doubt that's what he meant. But, you know, I think that probably this big exec was too scary to go back and ask again who they meant. Right. So and they're and they're they're just like going racking their brains. Who's this Eisenberg person? And then they're thinking, oh, well, he was Academy Award nominated. It must be this guy. Social Network. He was in Zombieland. So he's sort of got a sci fi ish, you know, cred. 
Jesse Eisenberg. That's who it is. So that's my guess as to what happened. And that, that seems about as probable as anything else. Yeah, and then they made the uh, the announcement, and this probably Warner Brothers exec is going, who the blankety <laughs> foul and filth uh, cast this guy that looks like Michael Sarah, you know, because yeah. uh, <laughs> he's kind of like the stand in Michael Sarah every time I see him in a film. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not not to say it won't be good. I, I have no idea. I'm 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 optimistic to some extent, but the longer. It, I don't know, man. I don't know about this movie. We'll we'll see. I had my problems with the first Man of Steel film. Um, and, and I'll tell you, one of my problems with the first Man of Steel movie Spoiler alert, if you're listening, was that he killed Zod in the end. But uh, I, I, I realized since then I had a little hypocritical because he also killed Zod in Superman 2. Uh, and in the comic books, he just does it in cold blood. So um, I guess I can't be too salty about the fact that he killed him in the movie. So Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, this movie is... I don't know. I mean, they're swinging for the fences. They're put Wonder Woman in it. They got Lex Luthor and Batman. I think it could be a disaster. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 people who listen to the Sci-Fi Christian know that I'm not. I've kind of got comic book movie fatigue to begin yeah. with, uh, and I'm not terribly pe- optimistic about 99% of what pop culture spews out these days. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for an optimistic take, I'm the wrong guy to go to. I'm not. Yeah, I I hate to say it. As much as I love comics, I'm I'm getting a little burnout on comic book films myself, and I'm I'm the last person probably most people expect to hear that. But I'm like I'm like, what are they going to name the next X Men film? Excrement, you know? It's like, <laughs> so it's like I I don't know. That's what it that's what it feels like. Oh, good, Brian Singer's back to yeah. do a movie that he didn't do particularly well the first you know time (laughs) so um singer has exactly one great movie on his resume and it's the usual suspects which is a solid 20 years ago now yeah yeah that's a that's a a really uh really solid film i like that one i think that that one's probably the one that really made the world aware of kevin spacey oh yeah yeah he he is uh lights out in that movie yeah yeah, so are you keeping up on uh, the multitude of Marvel movies that keep coming out? Are you Thor and then I guess Captain America coming out? Uh, yeah, you know, I was surprised. I really liked the second Thor movie they put out. Like I, I, I again, it's not going to win any Academy Awards, but compared to the first one, it was Shakespeare. <laughs> um, it was, but it was, it was actually a. a a good film, I'd have to say, it depends on uh, a lot on who they cast as the actors, you know. And yeah, it's just strange to me that Loki, who is a character I could care less about in the comics, he's the whole reason to see the second film to me, you know. And um, you, you get somebody that's a really solid actor like him in it. And uh, so I, I was pleased with that one. I didn't like Iron Man 3. I can't even remember what came out before that. But... Um, I, I think there's going to be some high points and some low points. I'm not really, um, 
I, I'm cautiously optimistic about Ant-Man. I, I'm only optimistic at all because it's Edgar Wright. Right. It's going to be directing it. And I think he's a, a really good director. And so I'm going to, I'm going to trust him a little bit. But then again, I trusted Josh Whedon with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the television <laughs> show. And, uh, that has proved to not be a good idea. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I bailed on that one after about five, six episodes. You so know. You know why? Because Clark Gregg says you're a loser. <laughs> he does. He does. That's got to be that's got to be one of those statements. He's going like, oh, man, why did I say that? I've, I actually have a little bit of sympathy for Clark Gregg because I, I have a feeling it was one of those things like he said something. He's probably tired. And, and it's one of those things like the reporter goes, "Ooh, you just said what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm thinking he's probably going, hey, you're not going to put in that article what I said about everybody being a loser who doesn't like my show, right? And they're like, oh, no, we're we're not putting that in there. But I do kind of – It becomes a headline all over the place. Yeah, I do kind of feel for celebrities like that because I, I know in my own moments I'm like, thank God somebody wasn't there with a microphone to record what I just said because even I think I'm the dumbest man alive for just saying that you know and right so that statement he made about anybody who doesn't like the agents of shield show is a loser <laughs> i'm like eh, maybe that was a little harsh but you know. yeah yeah my, i mean my philosophy of shows like that is that if it if people keep saying well it might turn around it might get better but yeah well it'll be out there on netflix five years from now if it gets around you know turns around it gets better and i can i'll just stream it then but well, they have to uh, they have to fire the current cast and hire John Stewart because that's yeah. what he that's what he did with the Daily Show. You know, the Daily Show was a pretty dumb show until he took it over. So yeah, they'll just they'll just have him come in and take over Agents of Shield and turn it into a political satire. <laughs> hey, I watched that before I watched <laughs> what they're putting out now. Yeah, which you know that's really what just boggles my mind about you know because obviously there's been a lot of criticism of the show. And it seems like, you know, Clark Gregg also mentioned that episode, oh, I want people to be more patient. Uh, and then the studio keeps talking about how we're going to get more comic book elements in, we're going to get more villains and all that. And it's like, no, that neither of those was the problem. Yeah. The problem isn't that the show is slow, and the problem isn't that it didn't have enough, you know, CGI or whatever. The problem is, is that it was terribly written and the actors suck. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than willing to be patient with a show that i think gives me reason to be patient and to give it some time to but i i just don't feel like that one is necessarily one of those that's necessarily worthy of the the patience it takes to get into it not even close so yeah uh, i was i was real hopeful when when that first came on just for no other reason i really like joss whedon and i thought well surely he'll be and and granted some of his shows do take some time to get into but i i just don't yeah, I, it's. I don't think it's enough his show to really make it something that's good. You know, it's more like it's more like yeah. his his alien film. It's not really in his hands. You know, yes. <laughs> whether whether or not he wrote the script, it doesn't matter because whoever is bringing his script to life is killing it. <laughs> yep. yep, absolutely. So absolutely. So anything else you want to do on this 100th episode, man? It's, it's your show. You've done 100 of these. Big yeah. for you. Uh, yeah. I think we ought to go to 100 minutes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> not that one. 
Now, you know what? Let's trash Agents of Shield for another twenty at least. <laughs> there you go. Now, I I always feel a little bit bad too when I start trashing shows and stuff because I'm like, I I don't have any idea what it takes to make a television show. I probably shouldn't talk too much about it because I know I'm I make music and I I have enough critics of that so. Anyway, we'll see. I, I I am not plagued by that. <laughs> I know you're not. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you know, actually, what I'd like to do, I think, now you're the host here, so you tell me. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, I'd like to read a little bit from my book. Go for it. Um, I, I think just to kind of set uh, where I want the book to go. And you know what? I think I'll do this. I'll read from the book. We'll say our goodbyes. And then I will play that song that I alluded to earlier. Um, I'm, I'm not going to play it myself. I recorded a demo of it. Um, it's got a couple words that me and the co-writer, Andrew Greer, um, were still tweaking just a little bit. But I think it's close enough. It's actually a song that's a call to communion and a call to the Lord's table. Um, and I'd like to play that, I think, after reading this passage especially. So I'll close the podcast today uh, by reading this, and then we'll say our goodbyes, and then I will uh, play that song. Sound good, Mr. Host? Sounds good to me. Take it away, Rick. All right. Uh, well, this is, is fairly towards the end of my book. It's from Chapter 9, coming out of Psalm 130. And uh, I'm just going to pick up kind of towards the middle to the end of the chapter just to give you a taste of what the book is like, listeners, if you haven't read any of it. Uh, in Psalm 130, the psalmist is saying, God, I am so desperate that I will wait for as long as it takes to experience your redemption. Like a watchman waits for the morning without sleep, I'll stay up all night and pray if I have to. I won't move. I won't speak. I won't eat until I know for sure that I've heard the word of the Lord. I will be patient, God. But I want you to know I'm serious about this. My soul, my whole life is held in your hands. I place my trust in you completely. Pray through is a phrase I grew up hearing in the church, but I don't hear it very much anymore. I used to hear people say things like, we used to wait and pray around the alder benches in our churches until we prayed through, even if it took all night. It's a shame we don't hear that kind of emphasis on waiting for the Lord anymore. I get this really strong image in my mind when I read Psalm 130 that the psalmist is doing this very thing. I sense that he's willing to do it for as long as it takes, too, with fasting and deep seeking after God. The implication is that the psalmist will wait and trust in the Lord all night, all week, all year, all life through, if that's what it takes to hear the word of the Lord. We could use more of that kind of commitment from our people today. It's hard to think of very many things in life that we would deem important enough for which to stay up all night. When my son Alexander was being born, my wife and I were most definitely up all night doing whatever it took to usher our child into the world. It was not an easy task, as my wife or any mother will tell you, but what we were waiting for and expecting was worth every sleepless moment. Another human being for whom Christ had died was being brought into the world. And this one was entrusted to us. This was worth staying up all night. There are some somber occasions that keep us up all night as well. Anyone who has stayed at the bedside of a dying loved one for countless hours through the night can attest that it was important to be there until the end. There's something sacred and profound when you are with another person at the end of their life, 
There is a reason that the family is called in during those final, final moments when a life that is precious to God is ushered from this life into the next. I doubt any loved one would ever say that they regretted staying with their loved ones who have passed on until the end. It was important. Somewhere in between those life and death moments of our lives, if we are honest, we will find ourselves wrestling through the night with our God. We will be so desperate that nothing in the world will be worth missing out on what God might want to say. If it is not um, sorry, if it is forgiveness that we need, then there is no amount of food, sleep, or entertainment on TV that would be worth missing out on the grace-filled moment when you know for sure that God has removed the weight of your unforgiven sin. God help us to be like the night watchman who waits for the morning. So uh, that's passage from my book, and uh, I, it kind of is close to my heart right now because even as we were talking, I. I got a message on my phone that uh, appears somebody uh, I'm fairly close to at church is uh, not long for this world in the hospital. And well, um, oh, yeah, me too. It's it's a bummer. Cancer is a very uh, well. I hate cancer. Let's put it that way. Yep. But uh, this person is a sweet lady of the Lord. She's uh, uh, the longest living survivor of cystic fibrosis. Actually, she's. Wow. She's, she's lived to be a senior citizen now and uh, had, had a transplant when she was younger. But it seems like unless the Lord intervenes that, you know, it's it's very short for her. And so I think about words like that right now. And um, really the desire and my hope for this book um, is not just to be something that where I could just get my thoughts out. I really do hope it's a help to people. And uh, I'm getting some good comments from people saying that they found it to that end. Um, um, I've, it's getting a lot of downloads online, which I'm grateful for. Um, it, and so what I mean, I guess, in saying that is I really don't care if it gets a lot of downloads or if it gets a lot of sales as much as I'm hoping that it's something that's helpful and beneficial to people and uh, beneficial in their walk with the Lord. Um, so uh, I hope that, that that comes through in the, in the reading of this book. I hope people will be able to forgive that I'm a first, first time writer and I don't have a degree or any sort of literary background <laughs> uh, in that field. My, my studies went elsewhere in college, but um, I just hope people will, will sense the heart that's coming through and I hope that they'll be able to um, find that the album is helpful to go along with the book and maybe find themselves being able to pray in some new and some fresh ways with that. And let me say, too, um, not only to you, Ben, which I'll get to in just a second, but Matthew Cole, if you're listening and people who know me, Matt, thank you for your help in this book, too. Uh, it was invaluable uh, in editing. You, you began the whole process, and uh, you were a great sounding board for me. I appreciate that, and I appreciate what you helped the book to become, and uh, I appreciate and love you, my friend Matt. Thank you for being a part of that. And Ben, um, I want to echo that with you. It was so beneficial, uh, the whole process. I really appreciate you stepping on board and really just giving your time uh, to do a project like this. Um, I, I don't have the connections or the funding to do a book right, probably. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what that means. I'm not an author. And um, I mean, I guess I am now an author, but yeah. I, but but I wasn't at the time. You can't use that excuse anymore. I can't anymore. Doggone it. If I ever... <laughs> And I have another book assignment coming up I'm writing for right now, uh, uh, an essay in a book that I'm really excited about, uh, more about that later. But 
Um, anyway, I just want to thank you for your time and uh, your friendship. I want to thank you for um, the little prods you gave in the book that you were helping me to think through some things too. And there would be some times um, where it was it was never like mean, but there was times that you would write back and say, maybe you wanna you wanna rethink some of this, which I feel like that is um even as a songwriter, I long for that kind of thing when I'm I just did a, a co write with somebody this week with the song that I'm about to play for you guys. And um that was sort of the process, you know, it's kinda like sharing your thoughts and sharing and, and having someone else who's a, a fellow uh, person on the journey be able to kind of point out how to make your song better you know and and you i think really helped to make the book better uh, than it would have been definitely than it would have been so um and thanks for being here today and doing this i just can't i can't say thank you enough and i i wish i knew how to uh show my gratitude to you enough but just know that it it meant the world to me all that you did with this book well thank you I, it's a lot of fun being a part of it and you know, as far as showing your gratitude, uh, straight cash is always good. Uh, <laughs> and I trust the check is in the mail, right? No, well, just... <laughs> with, that, with that being said, people, you can buy my book on Amazon. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I haven't sold a whole lot of copies yet, but I've actually uh, given away a ton. So, um, yeah, feel free. I'd, I'd love to be able to pay Ben something someday. <laughs> Only joking, of course. <laughs> no. Well, thanks, sir. Well, you're the host, so I'm going to let you uh, take us out of here today. All right. So I guess that's it for episode 100. Uh, I've gotten word from management that contract negotiations have been resolved. So starting with episode 101, Rick will be back in the hosting chair <laughs> as your regular host for the next 100 episodes, and I'm sure many, many more to come even after that. Uh, so I don't know what you're closing here. Typical closing is, Rick. We, we, we do the That's All For Now on the Sci-Fi Christian. Um, well, well, what's your format? I usually say thanks for being one of the voices in my head this week. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, thanks for being one of the voices, one of the many voices in my head, Rick. <laughs> uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week, or you'll talk to them next All week. Right. All right. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Hey, no problem. To every daughter, every son, to every tribe and every tongue, this is the call, the heart of love, this is
this soul Both strong and weak For every heart that dares to seek To all condemned There is mercy and see that he is good the bread of life the cup of grace this is the invitation to every daughter every son this is home, won't you come, take and eat, raise and drink, this is the invitation. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.